Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure that you knew that my online knee course with Lenny Macrina is on sale for $200 off this week. If you want to learn exactly how to evaluate and treat the knee, you're going to love our comprehensive course where we cover our clinical examination, exercise progressions, and specific information on ACL, meniscus, patellofemoral, articular cartilage, osteoarthritis, and so much more. Plus, you can earn a ton of CEU credit. The course is on sale this week for $200 off. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash knee for more information and to sign up today. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about banded mobility drills, we talk about manual muscle testing, and we talk about physical therapists working as strength coaches. The Ask Mike Reynolds Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. I'm up here at Champion PT and Performance in Boston. I'm here with Lenny McCrina, Dan Pope, FitnessPainFree.com, Dave Tilly, ShiftMovementScience.com. Well, no, we'll go, to it. go to it. Go to it. Go to Lenny It's a beautiful plan. Something's coming for Lenny. We'll Something leave it in progress. You could probably you could probably guess what it is, but just it's it's coming. Travis Step from University of Kentucky is here. Travis, ask away. All right, Jason from Mike's Inner Circle Facebook group. Are you fans of banded mobility drills? Banded mobility. So banded mobilities are pretty popular online right now. What do you guys think? Dan, why don't, why don't, why don't we go Dan first? This I is, agree. This is, so <laughs> Dan, Dan's the CrossFit expert, so we'll see. I mean, so, uh, you know, what, what do you think? Obviously, there's good and bad, right? What do you think of banded mobility drills? Well, I, I'm going to start off by saying I like them, but then the other thing I'm going to say is I don't use them very much. Um, I think they're Super adopted. interesting. <laughs> I mean, super interesting. Like it's, it's innovative. Um, and I think a lot of it was from Kelly Stara, and he just kind of took a lot of stuff from Mulligan and just applied all those techniques. And I think that's smart. I think most people do it poorly, and plus not hitting the basics well enough before they start doing that. So if someone has an ankle dorsiflexion range of motion problem, I see a ton of people putting bands around their ankles, and I don't even think to put them in the right spot. Plus the bands don't really fit in the right spot. Plus there's a lot of elastic give to them, so I don't think they're actually accomplishing what we want them to accomplish. These are based on manual techniques, not banded techniques anyway, initially. Um, the other thing is that they're probably not doing an assessment to see if they have a limitation first. The other piece is that I would do a bunch of other things beforehand. I would try foam rolling the calves, I would stretch the calves, I would do eccentrics for the, the uh, calves, and then maybe i throw a joint mobilization into the mix at the end there. So if you think about it that way, really cool ideas, very innovative, um, but at the end of the day it's just go back to what really works well and don't get too fancy with your joint mobilizations, I guess. So I, I, to summarize Dan, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like Dan thinks there's a lot of things that, that are going to be more impactful and useful for your time. Yeah. Is that, is that I don't want to speak I think for so. you. Yeah. Dave, any uh, other thoughts? I, I have two quick points. One is that the more Dan and I work with people and the more we kind of put our thoughts together, we find uh, the hip and shoulder are the most common ones that people use bands for, right? And we find that like, so many people have a, like acquired capsular hyperlaxity that is making up for soft tissue limitations. And they're stretching out their capsules to make at an accessory motion to make up for soft tissue overuse. So like addition by subtraction is huge. So we find that like sometimes people, and nobody's fault pointing fingers, but like they just slap a band on and start distracting their hip. But like we're seeing some really big capsular issues in hips right now, you know what I mean? So that's Shoulder, one. The shoulders. Shoulders are huge. Like it's like soft tissue like screaming right at you and like you're just like internally rotating and tugging. It's like well, you're like beating yourself kinda of in the wrong direction. 
not in doing what you think yeah. you're doing. Plus, and, there's right. no evaluation Correct. in place to see if that's actually what you should be doing. Right. And, and, and two is the biggest thing is Dan and I see people who just like literally do like 20 minutes of mobility and then go train. And it's like there's a huge jump you're making. Like you have to kind of work along a you know mobility assessment, mobility, some strength work, warm your technique up, practice with good you know no ego, and then load appropriately in periodization. It's like that model is way more effective than just slapping bands on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like people just overuse the bands. Actually, there's two things. There, there, I don't know if it's a, a more is better kind of approach, but we're certainly using the bands probably too often, and we're probably getting too aggressive with them, mm-hmm. and it's getting beyond even the point where Kelly probably started really yeah. doing it. Mm-hmm. I don't think biomechanically they're doing anything near what they're what we think that what, right. what you think. We don't think that. What, <laughs> like what you guys probably think they're right. doing. They're not doing anything biomechanically. I mean, are they neuromodulating some sensation? Yeah. yeah. Perhaps I think that's good, but you know I, I think I'd leave it at that. But where people are abusing it, jamming it, and I think what happens, and you know this is big in the CrossFit crowd here too, is that essentially what you have sometimes is you have people that think they're tight, right? Because they have a lack of functional movement skills, right? So they think they're tight, right? So they think something's tight, like the joints tight or their muscles are tight or something like that. Where it's actually just a poor movement, uh, you know, you know, thing that needs to be reprogrammed, or maybe it's soft tissue and not joint. And we jump right to just trying to jam mobility. So I always say, like the shoulder one, I talk about all the time. Like, but if you don't have shoulder mobility, grabbing a band and jamming it up higher is not going to get it. That's just going to make you way worse. Put a triangle on a round hole and hoping like something doesn't break. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Really great. Love it. T Bone, <laughs> what's next? Abby from South Carolina. How often do you utilize manual muscle testing in your practice compared to other instruments? such as dynamometers or isokinetic testing. How reliable do you feel you are grading above three out of five when utilizing manual muscle testing? Any recommendations for a new grad PT when assessing strength? All right, Len, why don't you start with this one? Yeah, do, do you use I, manual I, muscle testing? I use testing? it as, a, as one little assessment. It certainly is not weighing it. Most people are gonna be four or four plus easily out of five, probably five out of, everybody's five out of five, unless you have some like, some tear in your, your cuff or you completely tore your, your patella tendon. Um, so it's a it's it to me it's um, it's uh, they having pain with the with the assessment uh, and it does it fit their history. Is it all going to kind of help me with my my thought process? So I use it, but it, it has very little weight. And I use uh, handheld dynamometry, especially for high level athletes when I'm trying to find you know they're strong, but I'm trying to find um, you know that. That 10% weakness, not necessarily a, a huge 50% weakness where there's three out of five. You know, baseball players aren't going to be that weak. I'm trying to find that side to side weakness that's relative to them and, and pull that out. So I, I would say I use manual muscle testing on almost everybody, and I I, I almost do it every session. I mean, not mm-hmm. not every session, but I, I use it a lot because I want to see that. Um, I'll share with you some so private research that I've done. It's not published or anything, but you know I feel pretty strong about it. We showed you have to be about 15% weak on a handheld dynamometer for us to detect a change in strength. So meaning you're, you could be 14%, you could have 86% the strength of the other side and probably still pass, you get a five out of five on a manual muscle test. 
So there's limitations. If somebody's super weak on manual muscle testing, you can assume they're at least 15% weak, and that's kind of a that's kind of a big deal. So you have that other spectrum. So that's where handheld dynamometry comes into play. I don't think isokinetics are used really anymore. I don't know who who uses them. I mean, obviously for research, maybe for work hardening for workers' comp, you know, to get a completely objective objective number. But uh, in terms of the setup, the time, the lack of function of it, uh, just you don't you don't need that. You can get a lot out of your manual muscle testing. Uh, but I, I I use it all the time because I want to see progress. I want to see how how the person's kind of going. So we use it all the time. If you can afford a handheld dynamometer. We use that all the time as well. But like Lenny said, I think I'll, maybe I'll just end this question e- easily on this one. Like Lenny said, in the sports orthopedic setting, you're, you're looking for five or not five, right? You're not looking for a one, two, three out of, out of five, right? That's that's neurologic. That's that's different. That's in a hospital setting. That's just completely different. Right. So for us, we're just looking for a, a change in strength. And if you want to quantify that with a handheld dynamometer, then by all means, you should. And I do. Like so, for a baseball player, I'd, I'd use that because I want a certain number before they start throwing, right? But if you don't have somebody that has that specific of a demand, you probably don't need it. So, um, so yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think that summarizes it well. But that, that's how I would use manual muscle testing and, and stuff. So. T-Bone, we got one more? Is that three? One more. One uh, more, T-Bone. What do you got, buddy? John from Pittsburgh. I am a fresh PT working in outpatient ortho and starting to realize my passion may be better served in the strength and conditioning and sport performance realm. Any advice for a young PT thinking of transitioning to a strength coach? Awesome. So, wow, we don't get this question a lot. We, we get a, Yeah, we get a lot of strength coaches that are looking to go to PT school, but here's a PT that wants to get in the strength coach field. Yeah. In the strength. You, you want, it sounds like he wants to be a strength coach, yeah. but he actually wants to get a job title as a strength coach. What do you think, Dan? I guess it depends on your goals. If you want to go full-time strength coaching, then you probably need to find a really good facility that has strong strength coaches there who really know what they're talking about and try to start learning in that realm. Um, I think it's probably worthwhile at least to uh, to try to network with some local strength coaches and start to work a bit more with those guys just so you can see that full spectrum a little bit better. One of the things that's awesome here at Champion is that we get some athletes that say someone tears their ACL. They come in here for the first few months and we're just being very specific to the initial stages of rehab. And as we start to take them out to the strength coaching side, we have certain things they want to be able to progress to over the course of four, five, six, seven, eight, nine months. However, they're the person who's going to be leading the athlete through that. So it's probably worthwhile at least, at the very least, to make some good connections with strength coaches and start trying to figure out how to bridge that gap, building maybe some protocols on your own where you're taking that person from, let's say, three months to nine months, and you have a setup, and then learning some of the uh, the more important strength quality skills you need to help that athlete. So things like change of direction drills, jumping and landing. I'm a big fan of the TAF stuff, maybe going to the strength conditioning realm a little bit more and starting to learn from some of the, the top people in that realm and then uh, try to apply a full-spectrum approach, at least for your patients, in the short term until you decide to go over the, the strength coach. I, I think that's a great that's a great outline. Like, it's a great, you know, a route to go to learn and to grow like that. I, I, I would definitely do the same thing. I, I think I would just add, you know, professionally, like, what does that mean for you? I, I think it's great. I think as a strength coach with a, that's also a PT, I think you're going to be really powerful. But um, I, I think that's I think that's great. You've got to do what you're passionate about. So if you're more passionate about strength and conditioning than physical therapy, then go that route. But then I would urge you to see, and maybe you're not interested, but, you know, you know maybe go that route and then see how you can blend it a little bit, right? Kind of like what Dan was alluding to right there. Like, you know, maybe, you know, somehow you can do them, you can do them both. I just think, you know, that gives you, you have so much diversity in your, in your knowledge and your background to, to really take advantage of that. So, um, I don't know, something to consider, but 
Um, anyway, great stuff. Awesome questions again today. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Head to MikeRonald.com, click on that podcast link, and ask away. You can ask us anything you want. Ask us about PT, fitness, sports, business, baseball, gymnastics, um, uh, <laughs> CrossFit injuries, not any, anything you guys want to talk Surely. about. We're here for you guys. Go there, and then go to iTunes, uh, review, rate us, subscribe, all that fun stuff, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeRinald.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeRinald.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.